All right. Well, if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 is our focus here this morning. And we're going to look at the, t- the topic, the concept of the fear of the Lord. So today we're going to look at this one verse in particular, though we're going to scan a number of passages as- across the scripture that deal with this overall theme or subject because of how important it is for our understanding of the book of Proverbs. Uh, in fact, uh, our, our, our thought flow this morning is uh, going to be pretty simple, but we're going to uh, just introduce this concept of the fear of the Lord. We're going to examine it through a few Old Testament passages leading up to the book of Proverbs, and then we'll look at the appearances of the phrase in the book of Proverbs, which after that examination, then we'll attempt to grant a definition to this concept, the fear of the Lord, and then we'll explore uh, its primary implication that is given to us in this verse, Proverbs 1 and verse 7, namely that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, uh, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this idea that the fear of the Lord is the gateway to wisdom is important. And so uh, this is, of course, what we'll focus on today. So as we look at this concept, again, it's, a, it's actually a huge concept throughout the scripture. We can't exhaust it this morning. It would just take too long. But I, I've said this before in various contexts, but for those of you who are not aware, the most common command in the scripture is fear not. Fear not. You combine Old and New Testament appearances, it appears 90 times in the scripture. Yet, on the heels of that, uh, not far behind, the second most common command in the scripture, appearing 88 times, is to fear God or fear the Lord. You have to take those two phrases or similar phrases, combine them together, and you, you, you get up to 88 times that this command is given. So this is, these are your top two commands. And when it comes to just frequency throughout the scripture, these are your top two commands. Well, the, the phrase fear the Lord or the fear of the Lord is going to appear 15 times in the book of Proverbs. It's a hugely important segment uh, or theme throughout the book. And so what it's not only important in that it is uh, frequent, right? It appears 15 times throughout the book, but the book itself presents it as the gateway to wisdom. Again, rereading it, it says in chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the concept is that since the book not only uses this phrase 15 different times, but also presents it as the gateway to wisdom, then here's the implication. Until we grasp and, and submit to this concept, we can go no further in the book. Right? That's the whole point, is this is your starting point. This is the gateway. And if you do not understand or submit to the reality of the fear of the Lord, then the book of Proverbs really can't teach us. Right? That's the idea. And so the importance of it uh, is seen in this regard. So with that said, let's zoom out. Let's consider big picture and, and just try to give uh, an, an examination of this concept throughout the scripture. Now, again, we can't be exhaustive because that's 88 different occurrences, right? We, we don't have the time for that in this hour here today. But nonetheless, we can arrive at a definition of the fear of the Lord by examination of the usage of this term throughout the scripture. I'm going to be selective uh, by necessity, but nonetheless, I want to hopefully be helpful as we illustrate this concept in its various contexts. Now, those of you who've been with us in our Exodus series uh, have a leg up on this. But the first uses of this phrase actually appear in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pop backwards to the book of Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 1 real quick. 
And let me just sketch this idea through the book of Exodus, the, the concept of fearing God or fearing the Lord. The first uses of this phrase appear in the book of Exodus, chapter 1 in particular. In Exodus 1, verse 17, and then we'll see it again in verse 21, this is the first appearance of the phrase, to fear God, and it's in the context of the Hebrew midwives. Do you remember this? Exodus chapter 1, verse 17 says, But, well, let me back up for sake of context. Look at verse 15. It says, The king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the, same, the name of one was Shiphrah, the name of the other Puah. And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see to them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. If, you, if it shall be a daughter, then she shall live. But, here's our phrase, the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the, the men children alive. And the king, king of Egypt, of course, calls for the midwives, says, why have you done this thing? Uh, and then it, it reasserts the reality that they feared God in verse 21. It says, it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. In other words, households. God blessed these Hebrew midwives. Uh, out of out of a recognition of their fearing him. So again, I mean, we, we can go back and listen to our, our teaching through the book of Exodus if you want to get into the details. But the big point I want you to see today is that in the context of this narrative, where the first use of the phrase appears, the midwives are more afraid of the consequences of disobeying God than they are of disobeying Pharaoh. Right? That's the idea, is they have a greater fear of God than they do of Pharaoh. So they are motivated to obey God rather than obey Pharaoh. When these two figures, God versus Pharaoh, come into play and they're both issuing commands, well, the Hebrew midwives decide to obey God. Why? Because they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. Another use of this shows up in Exodus chapter 9. And in fact, if you were with us the last couple of weeks uh, in our Exodus series, we, we touched upon this one. But in Exodus chapter 9, we have uh, arrived to the seventh plague, the seventh of the ten plagues. And it describes in chapter 9 of the book, recall that several of the plagues begin with a warning. Not all of them do, if you recall, but several of the plagues begin with a warning, where Moses and Aaron will appear before Pharaoh, and they will warn Pharaoh that the plague is about to commence. Well, by the time we get to the seventh plague, the plague of hail, it's interesting that when Moses and Aaron issue this warning to Pharaoh, it says there are a number of people within Egypt that fear the word of the Lord. And so because they recognize that Yahweh's word is true and he will keep his, all of, you know, again, this is the seventh plague. So by now they've already seen Yahweh keep his promises and keep his threats. When he says a plague is going to happen, it happens. When he says he'll take it away, he takes it away. Right on time, every time. And so the reality is the word of the Lord is true. And so when the warning is issued, we see a split reaction uh, when it comes to the Egyptians. Some fear the word of the Lord, and so they hide their cattle, right? They, they take them out of the field. Why? Because God says, I'm sending the hail, and I'm going to kill anything that's out there. So they say, well, God means what he says and you know, does what he means and says. So they bring in the cattle and they try and uh, protect them. And those who responded positively to that warning, it says it characterizes them as fearing the word of the Lord. But then there were others that did not. And they left their, cattles out, their cattle out in the fields and they said, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, Yahweh's word isn't powerful enough. Our gods will protect you know, our cattle. Well, it didn't work, right? Yahweh's plague comes. His word is, of course... Uh, preeminent. Now, again, we haven't got here yet in the book of Exodus, but uh, we've talked about it a few different times, or at least foreshadowed it. 
But by the time we get to Exodus chapter 14, this is the, the perhaps most climactic time where it's describing how the Israelites finally feared the Lord. And this is after they've witnessed the 10 plagues. They've, they've seen the Exodus account, right? They've actually walked out of Egypt. And now they, they have witnessed the Red Sea crossing and this, this miraculous event where God saves the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, but he destroys the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And after they witness that account, the, the, the climactic, you know, summary of the account is in verse 31, the end of the uh, chapter. It says, Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. All right, and again, notice how those two things are related. They feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord. And so the concept is that the fear of the Lord, a recognition of his person, his power, his preeminence, his promises, that he's always true to his word, it ought produce a belief in him. Now, another example in Hebrew history, all right, once again, the book of Exodus is really a huge, you know, book to contribute to this overall theme of the scripture, really introduces the concept and illustrates it. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, just real quick. This is another high point when we are studying this theme throughout the scripture is when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy 5, we see Israel's fear of God is most explicitly mentioned in this passage. And their fear of God is, is what resulted from their view of God and resulted in their willingness to obey God. In other words, let me read this passage, uh, and, and, and it's a helpful illustration in this regard. But Deuteronomy chapter 5, let's pick it up verse 22 and read down to verse 33. Again, Moses is speaking to the second generation of Hebrews and he says this, These words the Lord spake unto you, or unto uh, all your assembly in the mount of the midst of the, out of the midst of the fire, and of the cloud, of the thick darkness, and the great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto you. All right, now again, uh, I'm jumping in the middle of the context, but he's talking about the Ten Commandments. right? He just finished rehearsing the Ten Commandments in the first 21 verses of the chapter. But he's now saying, okay, do you remember when God delivered these Ten Commandments to you? He spoke them audibly from the mountain that was you know, on fire. And it came to pass, verse 23, as he rehearses that narrative. He's rehearsing Exodus 19, by the way. But I like the way he phrases it here in Deuteronomy, which is why I take you here. But he says in verse 23, it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near unto me even all the heads of your tribes and, of, and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness. I have those circled in my Bible, right? Because I mean, this is all helping us illustrate what the fear of the Lord is. He says, they, they come and they say, behold, the Lord our God, verse 24, has showed us his glory and his greatness. How? Well, by descending upon the mountain and it burst into flame, Right? They go on, verse 24, we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that the Lord doth talk with man and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. Verse 26, for who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us. All right, and I love this, but they're asking for a mediation. 
a mediator. They're, saying, they're, they're talking to Moses and they say, man, please get God to, to stop. Like every, and again, realize the Ten Commandments were uttered from the mountain audibly. Like everyone heard, the whole nation heard the voice of God boom out, thunder forth the Ten Commandments. And it freaked them out. That's the point. So they go to Moses and they say, Moses, why don't you go talk to God and then come back and tell us what he says? So he goes on. Uh, so again, they request the mediation, verse 27, verse 28. It says, the Lord heard the voice of your words. So this is God's commentary on their you know, reaction. Verse 28, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of the people which they have spoken unto you. And they have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. We'll come back to that. But he says, go, to, go say to them, get you into your tents again. But as for you, stand here by me and I will speak unto you all the commandments and statutes and judgments which you shall teach them that they may do them in the land which I gave them to possess it. You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live, that, you, that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. I read the whole passage because when we get to the book of Proverbs, uh, it's helpful to have this background. But notice in particular, God in verse uh, 29 is actually hoping. He's, he's, he's you know, expressing his wish, his desire that they as a nation always maintain this level of fear of him. Why? Because if they do, he says, they will keep my commandments. But as soon as they stop fearing the Lord, as soon as they forget God's greatness, as it says here, and his glory, which they have witnessed, then the result is they will no longer be obedient. And so God is, again, he's, he's hoping for this. He's desiring this, that they would always fear him in this manner. Now, for sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead. There's, there's several more examples that we could look at, but let's get to the book of Proverbs itself. And let's look at how the fear of the Lord is used in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so go back to the book of Proverbs. And let's just comb through the 15 occurrences that we see this phrase used here in the book. And so you can start to get a, a big picture of how it operates within the book. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll try to define it and consider its implications here this morning. So again, Proverbs 1 verse 7 is the first appearance of the phrase where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me add to that a similar phrase. Uh, that that uh, shows up in chapter 9 and verse 10. Solomon says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. All right, so those two verses, Proverbs 1, 7 and Proverbs 9, 10 are similar in that they are promoting knowledge uh, or the fear of the Lord uh, promotes knowledge as the gateway to wisdom. We must fear the Lord in order to gain knowledge, in order to gain wisdom. All right, that's what Proverbs 1, 7 and Proverbs 9, 10 are getting at. Well, if we were to continue to look through the book of Proverbs, you'll also find in Proverbs 2 and verse 5 that, and really it's 1 through 5. We're, we'll give a whole session to this uh, section here in, in a few weeks. But he's describing how uh, the, the son, well, let me just read it. Chapter 
2 verse 1 says, My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you so that you incline your ear into wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Right? In other words, wisdom is the gateway, or the fear of the Lord is the gateway to wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is something that ought to be pursued. It's not innate to us. It takes work to come to an awareness of the fear of the Lord. According to verses one through four, we have to cry out. We have to seek God's commands. We have to uh, you know, apply God's truth to our hearts and our lives. Then as a result of that, we come to an understanding of the fear of the Lord. But that fear of the Lord is sourced in God, verse six tells us, for the Lord is the one that gives wisdom, etc. So the fear of the Lord promotes Knowledge is the gateway to wisdom. It ought to be pursued, but it's also considered by the book of Proverbs as the opposite of a hard heart. Go to Proverbs chapter 28, and I'm marching you through this not chronologically, but more logically uh, as we, you know, the way I've arranged the verses. But Proverbs 28 verse 14 says, happy is the man that fears always. And again, the implication is referring to the fear of the Lord there. But happy is the man that fears always or fears God always, but he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. I think it's helpful because verse 14 gives you that the fear of the Lord is the opposite of a hard heart or someone who hardens their heart, which again, have you been with us in our Exodus series? That's that's Pharaoh, right? Think of Exodus chapter nine. Those who feared the word of the Lord responded obediently to his command, his threat that the hail was coming, so they hide the cattle. But those who don't care, don't fear the word of the Lord, don't obey the Lord, but they harden their hearts just like Pharaoh, right? And the idea is consequences then fall. Okay, look again, Proverbs 15, 33 and 22 verse four also parallel this idea. It very closely parallels the fear of the Lord with humility. Look at chapter 15, verse 33, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is Humility. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. In other words, you will become wise if you first fear the Lord. That's what the first half of that proverb is saying. But the second half of the proverb is parallel with it. Before honor is humility. So notice how the fear of the Lord and humility are parallel. They're, they're essentially synonymous in that, in that uh, verse. Go now to chapter 22. Same sort of thing. Chapter 22 and verse 4. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Do you see that? By humility and the fear of the Lord. They're paralleled once again. If you are humble and fear God, then there results riches, honor, and life. Continuing, look at chapter 8. Go backwards to Proverbs 8 and verse 13. And we'll notice two verses, two Proverbs that tell us that the fear of the Lord brings a hatred of and a desire to depart from evil. When we fear God, that results in a hatred of evil and a desire to depart from it. Look at chapter 8 and verse 13. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Look at chapter 16 and verse 6. It's going to have a similar thought, though it's going to phrase it differently. But in 16.6, 
The book of Proverbs says this, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Listen to that. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. In other words, one of the components to the fear of the Lord, the results of it, according to the book of Proverbs, is that we hate evil and we desire to depart from it. Why? Well, because, again, link all these ideas together. Because we recognize God means what he says. He says what he means. His promises and his threats are always true. And so if God says that's wrong and I will punish it, then one who fears the Lord responds and says, whoop, then I'm going to avoid evil. I'm going to listen to what God is saying. Because the fear of the Lord promotes this hatred towards evil and a desire to depart from evil, then it, all, then it results in positive results, such as prolonging our days. Look at chapter 10 and verse 25, Proverbs 10, or I'm sorry, 27. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. We'll talk about this more in future weeks, but it makes a lot of sense. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, particularly when you're living in ancient Israel under the theocracy. What's the fastest way to die in ancient Israel? Right, rebel against God and get stoned for it. Right? <laughs> in other words, if you fear God, you live longer because you obey him. We could, uh, not, perhaps later we can dive into modern statistics. But, uh, you know, so I can give you, you know, actual stats, but it doesn't take actual statistics. It, it's pretty common sense. But sit back and start asking the question. Even in modern society, what happens if you desire, you know, to live a loose life? Drugs, alcohol, violence, illicit sex. What are the chances you're going to have a shorter life? they skyrocket, right? You're going to pick up some disease. You're going to get shot. You're going to get killed, right? You're going to die in a hole somewhere. And that, that's the reality. But when we fear God and depart from evil, what's the result? We actually live longer, right? We already read it a moment ago, but in Proverbs 22, 4, he says the, the humility and fear of the Lord brings riches, honor, and life. You want to live longer? You want to have respect by your local community? Honor, riches, wealth? Right, where you're not up to debt, you know, up to your eyeballs in debt and getting all your stuff repoed. He says, then have wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Learn how to navigate life. Which, again, if we have the fear of the Lord and we depart from evil, then we enjoy lo longer life and, and greater degree of, of prosperity because we avoid the folly uh, of, of frivolous spending, etc. And as a result of that, it brings strong confidence. Chapter 14, verse 26. 14, 26, and 27. We can kind of, you know, read them here because uh, I have it on the next slide. But the, well, let's read 26 and 7. Proverbs 14, 26 and 7 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. I love that. It's implying that the refuge, the safety that God has provided for us is first in his commandments. Like if we just live life his way, there is safety. It also implies beyond that, right? That even in certain, beyond, maybe we're being obedient, but a, a trial befalls us, but those who fear the Lord and trust in him have a place of refuge. Continuing, verse 27, same chapter. 
says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. It's just another way of saying the same thing, but the fear of the Lord is likened here to a fountain of life. Now, again, Jeremiah 2, I'd love to, uh, in that context, Jeremiah is using this idiom, this analogy to describe the true God versus false gods. Remember this? He says that you have rejected Yahweh, the fount of living waters, and they've followed after false gods. He says, which are like cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Again, can we relate to this? The reality that water is important right, that we need moisture, that we need steady, clean, dependable sources for water. Place yourself in the ancient Near East. Place yourself in the land of Israel and recognize that the the best water source you can have is a fountain, a spring that is bubbling up, that's producing. So for instance, En Gedi, right? You remember me showing you pictures of En Gedi? En Gedi is a spring in, it's right next to the Dead Sea. There is, and the Dead Sea is dead. You know, they call it that for a reason. And it's like a moonscape because of the, the heat that bakes and the wind that blows through. And it takes that salt from the Dead Sea and it just poisons everything around it. it look, I mean, it looks like the moon, just nothing but dirt and rock. And then in this little cranny up in the rocks, you climb up there, there's this lush and beautiful green vegetation, water, pool, overflowing fountain. It's called En Gedi. En Gedi uh, is Hebrew for the spring of the wild goats or the ibex. And both times that I've been to En Gedi, we saw an ibex, right? There's this little family of ibex. I, I don't know. Is ibex plural? I think ibex is plural and singular, right? But uh, I don't think it's ibexes. But anyways, we saw a bunch of ibexes, ibex. We saw a bunch of them. And the whole idea is that, you know, they're, why? Because that's a dependable source of water. It's always there year round. It never dries up. It's a fountain. That's the way God is. The fear of the Lord. When I, when I long to, to know him and love him and serve him, it's like the fountain of life. He says, but Jeremiah says, why would you reject that to have a cistern, which is obviously less desirable. A cistern isn't, you know, a well doesn't have fresh water. You catch water. And it goes stagnant if you're not careful, right? You got to guard that cistern. It's a, lot, it's a lot less desirable water source. But then he also says it's not only a cistern, it's a cistern that's broken. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, again, that's another whole thing. I, I'm, I'm getting off into it. But if you go to Israel, cisterns are everywhere. And they typically, you know, they, there's an opening, which is like, a, it looks like a bottleneck. And then it, then it kind of bulges out. And they would, they would dig this hole and then they would start really, you know, in widening the hole, again, think kind of a bottleneck kind of thing. And then they would get down and these can be huge. I mean, huge, <laughs> uh, where they can go down 30, 40, 50 feet. Uh, and then they just wow out this huge opening, but then they have to plaster everything to make sure that once they catch the water, they keep the water. Herod the Great built uh, Mas- uh, Masada, you familiar with Masada? There's a ton of cisterns in Masada where that's because it doesn't rain much there, but it rains like one or two times a year and he has to catch all the rainwater to make it through the year. So he wowed out huge cisterns and this very elaborate channel system that whenever it rained, ever, all the rain that hit Masada would be channeled down into these cisterns. But the thing is, if you have a crack in your cistern, then too bad, you can do all that work, but you know, the water goes in, but it's gonna go right back out. Right, that's the idea. And so, I mean, these idioms are all throughout the scripture, but it's a powerful idiom. 
where he says the fear of the Lord is like that fountain of life. It's a dependable, clean, desirable water source that will never let you down. And that's, of course, how he how likens the fear of the Lord. Well, now, because of that, again, it's similar to what we've already seen, but go to Proverbs 19, verse 23. If we fear the Lord, then it heightens the quality of life. Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord tends to life, and he that has it shall abide satisfied and not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord tends to life, and he that has it shall abide satisfied and not be visited with evil. Again, it's, it's just another way of saying that it's the fountain of life. It heightens the quality of life. But then lastly, the last two, the fear of the Lord gives contentment and satisfaction. Back in chapter 15, verse 16, he says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great measure and trouble therewith. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Similarly, Proverbs 23, 17 This is a father speaking to his son. He says, let not your heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end and your expectations shall not be cut off. There is an end. In other words, every choice brings a consequence. That's what the father's trying to teach his son. You ever try to teach your children that? Boy, my parents, you know, that was one of their first lessons. All right, Jeff, every choice has a consequence. And that's what the father's trying to teach. He says, don't envy sinners. Don't look at people who are wallowing in their sin. It looks fun. It looks attractive. It's alluring. He says, but you stay in the fear of the Lord. What's that mean? It means keep obeying God. Why? He says, because there is an end. There's a consequence to every choice. And your expectation will not be cut off. In other words, you will live longer and happier if you obey God. That's what he's saying. So again, you look at all of these uses. Let's back out. Let's summarize. What we've learned is that the fear of the Lord has a spectrum of uses ranging from respect, right? Sometimes people will translate that respect to actual terror. Like the children of Israel, the base Mount Sinai, they were scared to death. They were shaking in their boots. If you, oh, not that they had boots, sandals. But nonetheless, There's a spectrum of of uses ranging from respect to absolute terror, and the context determines the usage. Yet most basically, the fear of the Lord is this. It's an attitude toward God that is based on a correct view of God and results in correct actions toward God. Think about that. The fear of the Lord most basically is your attitude toward God. Do you fear him? Well, you won't have the proper attitude of fear unless you have the proper or correct view. When was it that Israel finally learned to fear God? Deuteronomy 5. It's when God showed up and, you know, a mountain exploded into flame and he speaks with booming voice. And they're like, whoa, God is real. God is powerful and we're not going to mess with him. And Yahweh says, oh, I wish you would always maintain that attitude. Why? Because he says if they fear the Lord, it will result in obedience. So there's the idea. The fear of the Lord is the attitude that we have toward God that's rooted or based upon our view of God, how we see him, which results in right actions. The fear of the Lord is an attitude. Fear, humility. Again, notice how many times, three times in the book of Proverbs, it's either paralleled with humility or it's the opposite of pride and hardening the heart. So the fear of the Lord is a proper attitude toward God of humility and fear. 
based upon a correct view of God and results in correct actions toward God. Or, to rephrase it, putting it another way, seeing and understanding God leads to a proper attitude of fear and respect of God, which results in the action of submitting to God, obeying God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. However, perhaps it's helpful. That's, those are my definitions that, you know, that I've kind of uh, boiled down when you look at all these passages. Right? It's, it's at the root. It's an attitude that results in action of obedience and submission to the Lord. And it's all rooted in your fear of God being, or your fear of God is rooted in your view of God. Do you see him as big and powerful and just and awesome and all of these things? But let me give you other definitions that are, uh, that are not mine, per se. I didn't write them, but I've come across them. New International Bible Commentary, for instance, says, the fear of the Lord is a reverent awareness about reality, the very opposite of arrogance and hubris. Do you see? In this definition, they're drawing out those proverbs that talk about it's the opposite of pride. It's the, it's the synonym to humility. The fear of the Lord is a reverent awareness about reality, the very opposite of arrogance and hubris. It is the acknowledgement of a boundary to human choice or discovery. We'll come back to that in just a moment because that plays into the implications of the fear of the Lord. Charles Bridges puts it this way. He says, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. God's wrath is so bitter, his love is so sweet that we have his this earnest desire to please him and to fear him so that we will not sin against him, end quote. And then he cites Hebrews 12, 28 to 29, which is a New Testament reference telling us how we are to fear God, that our God is a consuming fire, right? That's New Testament. But the reality is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Gerald Wilson puts it this way. He's a commentator on the Psalms, but he puts it this way. Fearing God is having a clear understanding of who God is and how my sinful nature places me in deadly conflict with his nature. I like that phrase. <laughs> my, my sinful nature, nature places me in deadly conflict with his nature. And it is knowing that my only hope is divine grace and mercy. End quote. I like that. Because here he's trying to show us, remember a couple of the Proverbs uh, parallel, particularly that actually Exodus 14 paralleled it, that fear of the Lord is, is uh, also parallel with believing the Lord, trusting him. So I like how he puts it. He's trying to bring those two ideas together of fear and trust, that the fear of God is having a clear understanding of who God is and how my sinful nature places me in deadly conflict with his nature. And it's knowing that my only hope is divine grace and mercy. A couple more. Paul Tripp puts it this way. It is only... When God looms larger than, not tan, that's a typo. It's only when God looms larger than anything you are facing that you can be protected and practically freed from the fear that either paralyzes you or causes you to make foolish decisions, end quote. In other words, this is well illustrated by the Hebrew midwives. Do you think they were a little afraid of defying Pharaoh's order and edict? You bet they were. Do you think they had second thoughts? Probably. They were taking their life in their hands by defying Pharaoh. But, as Tripp puts it, only when God looms larger than anything else. They saw God as bigger and more important to obey and more scary to disobey 
than Pharaoh. And that led them to make the, you know, the right choice of obeying God rather than Pharaoh. And this is, of course, what's so important for us to recognize. So again, just kind of boiling it back down to, you know, this is my definition, but this is one I keep coming back to. Most basically, the fear of the Lord is an attitude toward God that is based on a correct view of God and results in correct actions toward God. All right, that's what the fear of the Lord is. However, let's go back to our text, okay? Proverbs 1, verse 7, all right? You thought we'd never come back, but here we are. We've got 10 minutes. Let's go back to Proverbs 1, 7. And carrying with us now a better understanding slash definition of the fear of the Lord, then let's reread this verse. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, now that we can better understand and appreciate what the fear of the Lord is, let's consider the implication that this verse is making. That the fear of the Lord is the gateway to wisdom. It's what this verse calls the beginning or some will translate it chief part of knowledge, the most important thing you will ever know, or the beginning point of all other knowledge. Either way, you can take that phrase either way, both of which are true. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the chief part of knowledge. If a man wants to be wise, the place to begin is in reverencing God, trusting him and obeying him. So let me try to put that abstract concept into a little more detail. I like to say that the implication that is here given us in this verse, that the fear of the Lord is the gateway to wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. In what way is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? Three things. Let me walk you through this real quick and then we'll be done for today. But we're laying a foundation that is important for the rest of the book of Proverbs. But I like to say this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In what way? Namely, that those who fear God know three things. First, that God is the source of all wisdom. Second, God is the judge of all actions. And third, God is the center of all knowledge. God is the source of all wisdom, the judge of all actions, and the center of all knowledge. That what this, that's what this verse is getting at. In what way is the fear of the Lord the gateway to wisdom? Why is it the beginning point to all genuine wisdom? Because God is the source of all wisdom. God is the judge of all actions, and he's the center of all knowledge. Let me explain that. What do I mean when I say that God is the source of all wisdom? Genuine wisdom must begin with humility, if I can put it that way. We must know that we do not know. And then we must trust God to teach us. Wisdom begins with an acknowledgement of ignorance. It begins with humility. I said this before, but someone who is proud and unteachable will never become wise. They never will. Why? Because you can't teach them anything. They will never improve upon life. Why? Because they won't listen. So the whole idea of being teachable is of utmost importance. We must know that we do not know. I must be taught. I'm, there is a source outside of myself that's wiser than I am, and I have to listen. And that source is ultimately God. Perhaps this illustration uh, you know, helps connect with you. At least it, it did with me. Visahal Mengelvadi, he's an Indian, Christian Indian philosopher. 
in his book, The Book That Made Your World, gives a fascinating illustration of this idea. He talks about how a researcher blocked off a section of a fish tank with a transparent wall and put fish food on the sealed off section. The fish tried to get to its food, but could not. After repeated failed attempts, the fish learned that its nourishment was beyond reach, so it stopped trying. At that point, the researcher removed the wall, but the fish did not try to get to the food. The researcher added fresh food, but the fish had given up trying, so it died of starvation. Why did the fish die? The fish died because it believed the food was inaccessible, right? Previous failed attempts. So it exp- its experience demonstrated its, or, or formed its belief, and its belief formed its action. The fish died because it believed the food was inaccessible. But here's your what if. What if the researcher could tell the fish that the wall had been removed? What if the fish was a spiritual being with a free will? What if it could choose to believe a word that contradicted its earlier experience? In that case, the fish might have survived. That's you and me. We're the fish in a fishbowl. We think life is one way because we have experienced certain things. Our experience is by definition limited because we're finite creatures. You haven't been all places, all times, all continents, you know. We have limited experience. Nonetheless, our experience shapes our belief and our belief shapes our action. But what if we were like the fish who the researcher could speak to and say, hey, trust me, the food's accessible. Just try again. In other words, what if we had an outside voice that sees the entire fishbowl and more? He knows everything. And he's telling us what it truly is like. And it might contradict my experience and my deeply held belief, but if I'm humble enough to listen to what he says and respond appropriately, I'll find life. That's us. We're the fish in the fishbowl. And we must recognize God is the source of all wisdom. And he knows. And he's trying to tell us. And he knows better than we do. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the gateway to wisdom in that we believe that God is the source of wisdom. That I, I don't know all things, but I can listen to him. He does. Secondly, though, God is also, it crashed, that's okay. God is the source of all wisdom, but he's also the judge of all actions. Think about this with me for just a second. He's the judge of all actions. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom in the sense that we must believe that God means what he says, you know, that he will indeed judge our actions. We'll get to it later when we get to Proverbs chapter 5. But in Proverbs 5, 21 and 22, it's actually talking about how an adulterous woman does not want you to ponder your ways. But God wants you to ponder your ways. And the word ponder literally means to place your actions on a scale, to weigh them out, to think it through. And the reality is we must have an awareness that God will judge our actions. Our beliefs really matter. Our beliefs shape our attitudes, our actions, and our reactions. And that's what this means when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge is that I won't obey God unless I genuinely believe that God knows better than I do, number one. He's the source of all wisdom. But number two, that God will actually judge my actions. That if I disobey him, if I reject his advice, there's hell to pay. (laughs) 
That's the reality. So the fear of the Lord is the gateway to wisdom. And that first, I believe God's the source of all knowledge. But number two, that he is the judge of all actions. But then number three, God is the center of all knowledge. In other words, we, we could get lost in this one. Uh, and I'll try to just keep it brief. But the idea, what I'm trying to get at here, that God is the center for all knowledge, is that without God, you know, you could understand the what, but not the why of the universe. You can understand physical matter and mechanics. There's a lot of atheist scientists that can study and understand matter. They can understand mechanics of how this creation works. But without God, we will never have an understanding of meaning or motivation. The why of it all. So God, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, implies that God is the center to all knowledge. In other words, my ultimate ability to comprehend life in all of its parts, whether it's physical matter and mechanics or whether it's meaning and motivation, my ability to understand life, the universe, creation, it depends upon whether or not I believe God. Because if, if I put God at the center everything now begins to make sense. I can explain the creation, the origin of the universe. I can explain that if I put God at the center. I can explain not just where the universe came from, but where it's headed. I can explain that because I put God at the center of the universe. I can explain where I came from, but also why I'm here. What is my purpose for being here? I can explain that if I put God at the center, right? That's the idea, is that God is the beginning the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So with that said, and this will be future weeks, we will explore this concept that if that is true, if, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then how do I gain the fear of the Lord? And I'm out of time for today, but I read the passage earlier and we'll get to it here in a couple weeks. But Proverbs chapter two, verses one to five is what gives us that pathway to learn to fear God. If I learn to fear God, I'm now poised to be wise, to become wise. But if I don't learn to fear God, then boy, good luck, right? Just try your best, but life's gonna, gonna get rough. If we don't fear God, we will never gain wisdom, right? That's, what this, that's why this passage is so important for us to realize. All right, I am out of time, but next week we'll come back and we'll, we'll look at this next major unit where the father speaks to the son and begins imparting to him wisdom. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time this morning. We thank you for this truth that Lord is so weighty and so important for us to realize. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand, let alone to employ, to live out. But we ask that Lord, you would guide our thoughts and our speech, our actions. Lord, as we study this, portion of scripture that we would come to a deep awareness of what it means to fear you, that we would pursue this fear of the Lord, to have that proper view of you, which forms our attitude towards you, which forms our actions towards you. Lord, might you help us to get the, to the root of our behavior, to understand why we do what we do, and by your grace and for your glory, reshape what we do so that we can live in the fear of the Lord always. So Lord, we just continue to commit to you the remainder of our study. We ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.